0: So, how are things going with you?
1: Good, good.
0: Excellent. How's the new? Because uh, you just started that position, correct? Yeah,
1: I've been here for a month now, which is kind of cool.
0: It's going well. Everyone is happy.
1: Everybody's nice. Everyone nice leaves, is good. Leaves at like 5 p.m., which is very different from where I worked before. So, that's good. Uh.
0: So let's talk about other things you have going on. Cause I know you were talking about, you just started where you're at right now and can you plug the name of the place or do you not want to do that right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working at Boston healthcare for the homeless program. Um, and so we are in Boston's South end and um, yeah, I've been here for a month now, which it's the funny thing about when you go to work at a new job on the one hand, it feels like I just started. And on the other hand, it feels like it's been, I've been here for so long. Um, and it's, they have over 40 different sites that they're at, a bunch of different shelters, and they operate clinics within them. And um, they really just go to where their patients are, wherever their patients may be within the greater Boston area. Um, and so I'm working my way through and getting to know a bunch of those different locations. Um, and I'm, I'm based out of a building here in the South End, but then, um, you know, going around and getting to know our many different um, patients and doctors and nurses and and caseworkers all throughout the city. Uh, so that's been really exciting. And because I work in communications, it's literally my job to go around and meet all these amazing people, both patients and staff, um, and then get to tell their story on a daily basis. So I feel really lucky that I just get to go around and learn about the coolest things that we do <laughs> all the time. And that's just my job. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited, and it's a lot of fun. And I just feel like it's like boston's best kept secret and i've lived in the area my entire life and i somehow like i knew about a lot of the shelters they work with but i didn't ever really know about them which is kind of nuts to think about but i'm having a lot of fun and it's always it's i've been lucky to work at a lot of great places and it's nice to add another one to the list
0: well that's fantastic i'm glad it's working out for you sounds like it's a it's a win for sure yeah Uh, and fits right in with everything i know about you just from the short time that we've known about uh each other So congratulations on that all working out and I hope it goes to the best. So I know we did talk about you possibly trying to put together a podcast. So where can you give our listeners an update on where you stand on that?
1: Yeah. So, um, my co-creator has graduated from grad school, which is exciting for her.
0: Congratulations Um, to her.
1: Yeah, I'm very proud of her. Um, and so she's, you know, prepping for her exams and licensure and all that. Um, and now I'm just the hold up because I was really throwing myself into my new job. Um, and then also, like, just getting our act together on the technical side of things. Uh, you and I were talking about that a little bit yesterday of just, you um, we feel really excited and confident about the content side um, because we both have been working. Um, we talked before about how this will be about sexual violence and sexual assault. Um, and we've been working in that area for a long time. And we know so many people who have expertise on the various areas that we are not as well-versed in. So we feel like between what we know and then the people that we know, we'll be able to cover that really well. Um, but it's more about you know just wanting to make sure that we because so we're always both the two of us are running around doing a million things and be getting the technical side that we don't know as much about um but we kind of the other day we're talking and we're like I think we just need to say screw it and just start recording even if it's a really crummy recording because we're gonna like suddenly become audio geniuses like my brother is an audiophile and like we're just not gonna like he went to school for television and radio like we're not mm-hmm. gonna go do that so mm-hmm. we just need to just Bite the bullet and just start doing it because otherwise we never will. Um, and I feel like what we have to say is a lot more important as long as people can actually sort of hear it
0: <laughs> absolutely. And I, I know just knowing you, um, the short time I've known you, but seeing the other things that you've produced, that no matter what it sounds like, the quality of it, and you having all the connections that you have, it will the content will far out, outweigh the quality of the audio. And, uh, the one thing I will say that I do agree with you with is the back end at part of getting a podcast going and getting a show like that is a little more work than I think, even, especially I, cause had never done a project like this until we started this and you know, we got it going really quick, like maybe a month before, uh, Handmaid's Tale launched. And so just seeing everything that it took to create the website and the presence online and all the equipment and the audio and making sure that was right. Was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be, um, but it is one of those things where if you keep tweaking it and keep trying to make it perfect, you're never going to start it. Your your attitude there of let's just do it and not think about it anymore is perfect.
1: That's the benefit of doing things on the internet, right? Like having a blogging background is like, well, that post wasn't as good. The next one will be better, <laughs> you know. Just
0: to make another the next one. one.
1: Better. And then, you know, maybe it's not so hot for the people who find you three years down the line. They go back and they're like, "Ooh, that early stuff is rough. But it's like, well, <laughs> there's a learning curve. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly.
0: Uh, so is there anything else you have going on that you would like to plug? Because I know you do a lot of things and you are currently doing a lot of things with the new, new position and uh, trying to get the podcast off the ground. But is there anything else in, you know, the minute amount of time that you have left in your day? I'm sure that you are also <laughs> working on.
1: Um, if anybody is not done reading about Wonder Woman, I wrote a few pieces on Wonder Woman. Um, I wrote something about uh, the gender tropes that we usually see in superhero movies, and I really felt like Wonder Woman was a role reversal. Um, I love me some Chris Pine, and I really enjoyed him as a as a damsel in distress. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> indeed, I, yeah. I agree with you on that.
1: Um, he even got the like sexy, sexy tub shower scene. Yes,
0: uh, it's yes. really
1: great. Um, And I wrote another piece about, you know, how they specifically used war and violence and World War One and and genocide and all those things. Um, So check those out. Those are over on Den of Geek. Um, And I've been writing. I wrote some more about Handmaid's Tale, and I'll talk a little bit about that, too. Um, I'm writing about Orphan Black. um, Nice. Been watching that. Women, bodily autonomy, the future, all these good things. Revolution. Uh, Yeah, right.
0: Coming for everyone.
1: If you're in Clone Club, check me out. Um, and then there's just some other shows that I love that I'm sure I'll be writing about soon. Winona Do Earp. Tell.
0: Do tell. Oh, you're a Winona Earp person too. Okay. Yes. You're the second one love I me. found. Not that I'm sure there's, I, it's just not a show that I've see, sought out. Uh, but one of the people that created something for us to give away, um, Kira, she is a huge Winona Earp fan. So, like, she does all this artwork and, uh, was one of the ones that gave us stuff and she was like, you got to watch the show. It's very cool. And so she likes all the kind of same stuff that I do and probably that you do. And I'll be honest, the name of the show being Winona Earp just seemed a little cheesy to me. So I didn't check it out. But from what I've heard, it's pretty cool.
1: For those who do not know, it's like the concept is like the great, 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 great granddaughter or whatever of Wyatt Earp. Uh, So a bit of Western plus sci-fi, but not in space. It's on earth. Um, And she, you know, shoots, ghosts and demons that she calls revenants um, she is a booze swilling fast talking sarcastic lady there's some queer lady love going on in there there is no barrier, gaze if that's a concern of yours um, and it's just it's a good time it's really goofy there's some real <laughs> groaners of lines in there but it's a fun way to spend an hour short seasons easy to catch up I think you can watch it on Netflix.
0: Yes, it is on Netflix Absolutely. Yeah,
1: I rewatched before this season, and it was an excellent way to spend like a weekend.
0: Yeah, I know it, it felt similar in concept. To, I started watching Van Helsing, which I don't even know if that's still on. Yes. Um, yeah, which yeah. is kind of a similar concept of she's held the line of Van Helsing. Um, I felt that that and show
1: even look alike. I think.
0: Well, yeah, kind of. They do. She's the Van Helsing. She's a little older. You can tell than yeah. the one her but. That show, I thought, had a lot of promise, and I thought didn't follow through with it, um, other than being one of the most violent shows I've seen in a long time, especially on sci-fi. I was really surprised how graphic it was. Yeah. Um, especially, they made a point of doing these intros before like the credits would roll at the beginning that utilized sound like I hadn't heard before, like in a disturbing way. I felt
1: like Chan Helsing was half trying to appeal to the Walking Dead fan base and half trying to appeal to the Winona Earp fan base. And it really went after both and didn't know which, like it couldn't make a decision about what it wanted to be and wasn't really wholly its own thing. Um, And it sort of lost out on both. There were a lot of times where I really enjoyed it, but there were a lot of times where I was like, this is just like gut-wrenchingly disturbing and I'm not sure why
0: exactly uh, that of- exactly this the concept is cool and they do some really cool things and there's some yeah. really cool ideas but yeah sometimes it was just like it, the plot line was drawn out a little bit and you were like why are we just killing everything and why do we need to do this and why after- hasn't john been shot a long time ago <laughs> because he's a pain in the ass um but
1: after I- the recent <laughs> order black episode there was some some violence that some people thought was like too much and too brutal um, and the, a point was made of like orphan black is really intentional with their violence. If there is violence, particularly against women, they use it to demonstrate a purpose and it is thematically and narratively important, um, yeah. which is the something that you guys talked about on your show, which I thought was really great. Um, and I think that Van Helsing is the opposite of that, where it's just like, here's some gore and stuff and like, exactly. oh, separate fingers because yeah, why I,
0: not? Yeah. And maybe I think you might be referencing, I believe like, cause spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it um they're like trying to make a hybrid baby i believe of some sort and there's a lot of graphic pregnant women post-op childbirth kind of stuff going on that is profoundly disturbing which is saying something for people who have been watching the handmaid's tale but this is like on a different like unnecessary unnecessarily and intentionally schlocky gory on purpose kind of like a almost torture porn kind of way Um, For Mm -hmm. me, at least. That's kind of what it felt like. And so I was disappointed. And
1: And then also, like, the reveal of there's a murderer in their midst, and then who it is, and then why. And, like, his entire reason for being a murderer is, like, sorry, I was always a psychopath. Like, you thought I was a sweet person, which, like, could have been interesting. Like, oh, so it's a deaf man, and it's like, oh, you assumed I was innocent because I'm deaf, and you projected Mm -hmm. that, which could have been interesting commentary on people with disabilities and instead was just like psychopaths got a psychopath like <laughs> that's who I am like, okay, sorry to disappoint you That's yeah. um but he's but he was loyal to the end to well to the end not really because I'm sure that character will literally never die uh but he was loyal to like one person for no reason I don't know it just it yeah, didn't happen it- at all um Uh, but it was a lot of brutal violence um and then i think it will only continue because it seemed like that character ended on a very vengeful note um which at least now has a reason because everybody's tried to kill him but in fairness definitely tried to murder them a lot first
0: a lot of murder a lot of attempted murder going on so it was fun (laughs) So let, let's, let's touch on The Handmaid's Tale. So I think the last time we talked, it was probably episode six. I think we had just kind of crossed the midway point. Um, so give me an overall perspective from your viewpoint as to how you felt they wrapped everything up those last few episodes.
1: Yeah, so I was pretty pleased with the end of the season. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely moments that I feel like were, if you've ever heard the phrase, fridge logic, which is like something that makes sense when you're watching the show and then later when you're like getting something out of your fridge, you go, wait a minute. Uh, There were some moments that I've had later where I was like, I don't actually know why they would ever even try to get them to kill a woman because clearly they would not. Um, There some of those things, but generally speaking, I had a lot more moments where I was like, yes, I'm singing along to Nina Simone and I'm really excited about this. Um, I was really excited to see Jezebel's love everything about every time is on screen um yeah, did,
0: the, did the jezebels because uh, in the book they don't really go into a real description too much of jezebels um at least the entirety of jezebels you get what's going on there but did that did, they, did you think they towed the line there enough with it not being too crazy and not making it you know like van helsing would have done it and like you know making it completely <laughs> insane
1: i felt like it was like realistic in that it felt it felt like a thing that could actually happen, the idea, and I did love the sociology professor's reference of just, like, this strange mix of, like, okay, some of these people were sex workers, and also some of them were just simply women who could not tolerate this world, like, I don't know, and it was also, like, here's the place where you actually see heavy women, Um, and, like, Pets for some reason.
0: The Um, dog, yeah, we brought up the dog. We were like, "Where to? What's going on with the dog?" And maybe we don't. I also thought
1: the uh, the the ceremony kink I thought was very interesting and creepy and weird. That like the one time when they're when she's going past the room and she sees like clearly Uh, and by this is obviously not something that is held by any of the women involved in the scenario because they don't get a vote. Uh, But it's like a bunch of dudes in a circle egging on women who are clearly not in charge of the situation being a handmaid and a wife. And it's just like, this is everything that's terrible about Gilead, like in one brief snapshot. Um, And it weirdly reminded me of that Requiem for a Dream scene in the party when they're all just like, and I was just like, this is I hate you guys. I hate everything about
0: it but, um. yeah it's it's hard to uh pervert something that's already perverted on its own, but they did a pretty good job of doing that.
1: I was like you you made it worse, yes somehow
0: and of course we we we'd be remiss without um acknowledging the elevator and the guy licking the girl's uh amputated nub, which was brutal
1: just the idea that it's like. Okay, so there's there's a world in which that could be a cool and interesting thing if that was someone who, you know, was born with a disability and that was his way of like, I love your body and like blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, I think the messaging is pretty clear here that that was something that was done to her as a punishment for her being a woman who thinks things or who reads mm-hmm. things. And that's exactly. him being am way into you not being allowed to read, baby. And that's just... Mm-hmm
0: yeah so many so many layers so and i believe uh sarah on our podcast she described it as when she's walking down that hallway looking in all the rooms she's like that's the second most disturbing hallway next to the hallway in the shining so
1: (laughs) yeah it they did jezebels really well and it it really showed i thought too um with, you know, Moira and June both talk a lot about choice and that was something that June thinks about a lot during the book and they did a good job of, of showing that conversation of like they, they blame themselves because they have this tiny sliver of ability to choose something which isn't, we know as viewers that it's not a true choice, but Correct. they do like Gilead forces them to do this and that's part of the trick right it's like you know the biggest trick the devil ever pulled is like making you think it's your fault and that's one of the things about Jezebel's it's like oh okay pick your poison and it's you can have this kind of doom or you can have that kind of doom and part of Jezebel's is tricking you into thinking you chose this And, oh, here's some, you know, liquor. So be happy with what you chose and numb yourself up. And uh, it's I think that they portrayed it really well.
0: I agree. I agree. Um, I thought it was interesting. and I I really didn't think about this myself until I was talking on another podcast to the uh, Deviant Women. I'll plug them um, podcast, which is out of Australia. They're absolutely amazing. Um, And I thought it was interesting. we were talking about Moira and talking about Offred June. And I thought there was an interesting kind of transfer of characteristics between the two of them post Jezebel's where Moira kind of starts out as the rebellious one who is trying to escape and trying to do anything she can to get out of there and keep everybody kind of moving in that direction. But once she's in Jezebel's, you know, she kind of starts to lose that hope. Whereas at that point, when they meet again is kind of, I thought, a transfer of power almost uh, symbolically or not so much to June as as when I think she kind of discovers, okay, I've tried to manipulate every person I can within this society and the structure that I'm given to uh, get me out of this situation. And now I'm going to have to be the one, including Moira, who she is kind of always relied on to be that person for her. Uh, and kind of help her be that rebellious because she's always kind of been in the back and Moira has always been the one driving things uh, in that direction but you kind of see in that scene where they meet and she's telling her not to let the bastards grind her down that that's kind of the point where her switch goes on and Moira still has a little bit of because she does end up escaping but when you see her like in the Canada scene when she finally makes it that she's just it's out she's done like her she's got nothing left and like anybody would in that situation. So I thought that was interesting to think about kind of June taking up that mantle of the rebellious one that's going to make shit happen and figure out a way to get the hell out of here.
1: Yeah. And I think part of it too is like what we project on other people. And I think we often think so much higher of our friends than we do of ourselves and sort of like that imposter syndrome thing that I think particularly women and people of color and women of color feel. And it's like, I think that June had Moira almost like as this emotional talisman in her head, in her mind, it's like, okay. And in the book, she, she talks about this a lot. Like, Oh, well, if Moira here, we're here. Moira would be saying like, fuck that. And like, she'd be fighting back and she'd be doing this and she'd be doing that. And it's like, yeah, Moira would be doing that, but also like in reality, Moira also gets, gets ground down and like Moira does go through things and Moira is a real person and she's not just like this pinnacle of strength all the time. Like she also gets exhausted and she also needs to make sure she's safe and like she's not superhuman. And I think that's something that some, uh like I see that a lot in activism is like people sort of project particularly onto black women, this idea of like, you need to be the strength for all of us and like you need to carry the weight of the world world and the weight of the movement on your shoulders. And it's, it's really unfair. And it's something like, I think that it's good that they sort of showed the vulnerability and the realness of like, yeah, man, Moira got exhausted. Um, And I think that it's also nice that like, as women and as friends, that they were then able to like, share strength. And so like, Moira was feeling really low. And I think June did June did make her feel worse, because it sort of reminded her of like, oh my God, that's what I used to be. And then also like, oh my God, June is like also bucking the system and maybe that will make it worse. Um, But then in a way it did get into her head and it reminded her of like who she can be and it gave her the strength to get out of there. I do think though that- Seeing Moira in Canada, like I know some people are reading it as like she's toast. I actually think that that's temporary. Like, I think that that oh, is. Oh yeah,
0: I, I didn't, I didn't mean to imply that I thought she was like broken down yeah. mentally. Like, say Janine is sort of. Um, yeah,
1: Janine's on like a long-term care plan, whereas like Moira, right. I think, I think Moira is going to be dealing with the effects for a long time. But I, I think Moira will only be catatonic for. A certain amount
0: of time right yeah i like, think more, i think she's suffering yeah. from what anyone would suffer from when they'd uh been in that situation jezebel's has got enough strength and, and to escape and then finally get to a place where someone is actually nice to you for probably the first time and we don't really know how long given the fact that the show doesn't give us timelines um yeah. but i thought they did a really great job of just showing what it would be like for someone to come out of and you would know this better than i having dealt with You know, people who have been through more traumatic situations, that when you get to a situation where someone is actually treating you like a human being, that it's almost hard to accept that. And emotionally, you're so drained, and the effect that that has on you after it's done, that it's really hard to recover from.
1: Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they show Moira next season and how they show, for one thing, I'm hoping to see some amount of either flashbacks to how she got out, or what I think is really likely is that. If June is not going to the eyes, if she's going uh, in a positive way, I think we'll be, I don't think June will quickly get out of Gilead. I think we'll be going on a journey through the underground. And it'll, like, I think that's why we didn't see Moira's journey, um, because we're going to take that journey with June. Um, But I think that then we will see Moira dealing with PTSD and trauma and all those things, like, on a daily basis and, like, living with it in a real way, um, because the show does seem to enjoy not enjoy, but this show seems to understand the value in, you know, those small moments and those realistic moments of dealing with those things.
0: Yeah. And I think they've, I think they've done a really good job of that. Um, so any other things that stick out in your mind about the last few episodes? Was there anything you didn't like that you wish they would have done differently? Um,
1: the only other thing that I think really sticks out in my mind is, um, I was really happy that they showed like with the the persecution the the culling they showed someone saying no and what happens um because this whole idea of oh well it's up to us what we do um and I actually did see some fans saying like oh well they don't actually have to and I was like I'm sorry do you believe them um and there's there's just like a great line it is often repeated of You know, if you want to know how someone really treats you, try saying no to them and and see what happens. Um, And whether that's, you know, a romantic partner, a government, what have you, you learn Mm -hmm. a lot more by saying no to someone than you do by saying yes to them Um, and how was it new Ofglen was the first person to step out of line yes
0: yes which was interesting like we talked about yeah. that like uh that was weird that that's the line for her you know because I mean, yeah. she was just she was just playing the no you shut up game with you know june as they were walking down the street and then all of a sudden she's like oh no we can't do this
1: yeah and the fact that as soon as she said no to to taking somebody out to calling someone then she was you know beaten and taken away well, if that's what happens when you don't follow orders, like if you don't do what they were implying you should do, then that means that you were never really free to make a choice in the first place. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and I don't think I,
0: anybody I, should be under the delusion that any of these people have a choice, even when they feel they have a choice.
1: Right. But so that's the thing, like ugh, people do act like they do. And one of the things that I, was really happy that I was able to write um, and was sort of my culminating piece for Den of Geek about The Handmaid's Tale was about sort of how this whole, the way that Gilead operates is a parallel to the way that coercion within rape and sexual violence operates, which is the most common way, which is not somebody coming up to you with a gun, but which is somebody creating a situation where they wear you down or where they, no one you know, forces you to, but you're in a situation where um, you basically better say yes because if you say no you know what will happen um, which is the entirety of Gilead that's really helpful that that's
0: a, that is a great analogy
1: Thank you I was pretty proud of it
0: <laughs> that's good no I, I that's fantastic I wouldn't have thought to phrase it like that but I, I definitely agree with that um, I did think it was interesting that um, the kind of Exposed I guess a little bit of a flaw in their system and that once the handmaids get pregnant There's they're kind of in a power position, And I think yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because I, Obviously, they're clearly not gonna like what happened at the uh, culling and the salvaging there um, But yeah, I kind of we talked about it a little bit last night in our wrap-up show is that's kind of the f- a little bit of the flaw is like okay, you got these women and you subjugated them and Get them to you know in this role but as soon as they get what really you're going for which is they're pregnant with with a health, healthy child they the power turns and I don't know that they really thought about that or maybe they did and I don't know how they can seem to handle that especially when someone like June Offred kind of turns it on them and starts using it against them
1: yeah see I think that they I wonder if that for some of them they just never assumed that those women actually had power in the first place. Along the same lines of that that line, they shouldn't have given us uniforms if they didn't want us to be an army. I don't think that they, they if you don't see women as being powerful people, you definitely wouldn't see pregnant women as powerful. Mm-hmm. Like you would Excellent. think that that's a condition that takes, that makes you more weak, that makes you vulnerable. Um, you know, people would not see that as being a place of power. And it's like, no, these are people who can make choices. They can still leave. Like, they're not... It's not confinement, but if you believe in that, um, you know, and there are people like right in 2017 who think that women should immediately leave the workforce or shouldn't have been in it to begin with, you know, who think that they should not be able to eat or drink anything, never mind just the normal set of things that doctors recommend. You know, there's a lot of people who believe that women's bodies should be restricted in a much more intense way as soon as they're pregnant or even this. Whole pre-pregnant thing every once in a while a, new, a state will kick out a law saying any woman who could potentially preg- be pregnant shouldn't be allowed to touch alcohol or otherwise it's a crime and you know something like that um, and so I could see them just honestly not even viewing pregnant women as strong when in reality it's like that is a very strong a very, that's like a demonstration of the strength of a body is that it can do this thing it can literally manufacture human life and support it and create it and, and you know bring it bring it about I mean that's that sounds like a pretty strong thing to me um, Absolutely. but if you don't it seems see like that, the
0: strong the strongest thing that I think another uh, that a human being could do to be honest with you if you're you know putting all the cards on the table I don't know well, of a thing that a especially as a man is. I I will tell you outright my body does not do anything that could even <laughs> remotely comp, like compare to the process of childbirth and being pregnant. Not even a little bit. Not even if I if I invented something, it still wouldn't be what that process is. And so yeah, I think you're dead on. Like maybe that's that's a good. I hadn't thought about that about them not thinking maybe that they had power in the first place because of how they view women. But that's a great thought. The other thing I thought was interesting was they kind of showed that in two ways. One was that way but also that um, when the uh, commanders are meeting to decide what to do with uh, mr. Putnam I believe is his last name Janine's former commander that they kind of get a taste of the wives actually having a little bit of power because the mrs. Putnam who we we are not really sure what she likes because she seems not like anything including the child that she got But she kind of turned, you know, and we did say that, you know, of all the the quote unquote worst possible punishments, losing an arm, I guess, a hand? Come on. But you do kind of see Fred kind of get that like light bulb above his head, like, oh, so they do have a little bit of input. And given his current situation, uh, Serena Joy, uh, knowing how Serena Joy is, especially in the current, you know, storyline, I think Fred is a. kind of realizing that he's got two women on his hands that have a lot of power over him in a lot of their own situations that maybe he didn't realize.
1: Yeah, and it shows how much soft power matters, which I think it's interesting that people are always trying to devalue whatever, you know, if it's associated with women, they'll, they'll devalue it. But it's like, you know, you can take away all of the systemic rights and powers that women have. And yet still (laughs) people will find a way. And it's like, they didn't ever mean, you know, I don't think it's written into their law and in their system that like the wife has a voice. And yet it's still just inherently compelling to them that when the wife comes and says, Oh, I'm, I'm, concerned for his soul and i just want his soul to be cleansed and like we honestly don't know enough about that character like i don't know if she's actually concerned for his soul or if she's just like real pissed like i have a feeling it's the latter but i also feel like she could make a pretty good case for the former too but because of the way that their society is set up like she can make a case for that and even though she doesn't like that power isn't written anywhere into any of their systems and yet she has it you know, right. there's always a way and not to say that, like, people have power because that has not been granted to them. Like Gilead gets zero credit for that. The Sons of Jacob get no
0: credit for a loophole.
1: Yeah, but it, it just speaks to, you know, the intelligence of, of people like Serena Joy and like, what is she, Mrs. Putnam? Is she, yeah, within yeah. that system who can still go out and find their way. And it's like, even if you think you are, you know, you are the Commander Waterford of this situation and you think that you are the strongest guy on the planet, like there's still a way, somebody can still put a crack in that. Um, And it's like, if you are, you know, leading some sort of really hierarchical hegemonic system, you know, you still gotta watch your back because people are coming for you, like eventually. That arc of history is long, but it's bending towards justice and they're coming for you. Yep.
0: Yeah, I thought I mentioned this a couple times when I was talking to the Deviant Movement podcast, but I thought what this show did really well was to show a society and a government that, in the first few episodes, looked like it was very strict and very regimented and very well thought out. And very strict in its ideology, obviously, and kind of had its stuff together, and had laid this out almost perfectly. They thought, but that ultimately, those organizations are all made up of people, and when you have, you know, the human element, no matter what, how strict your uh, society is, no matter how, you know, thought out the rules are, and how regimented and hierarchical, as you said. Uh, when you get that human element in there and you start getting people and emotions and everything involved, I think it did a great job of showing, yes, uh, those first few episodes, we were like, well, how is anybody going to get out of this? Because it looked so strict and like everybody was following along the rules. But as you get through the other episodes, you kind of see the emotions take hold and you kind of see people breaking away from the norms and the laws of Gilead and how that, that, when you have a society that's so strict that it doesn't allow for, Humanity to have any kind of place in it, that it's eventually going to crumble. Yeah. Ain't so a pot, a people. Right? <laughs> that's right. So uh, I did have a few. We had a question. We had, we got some questions from the various uh, places of social media. Let me. Uh, I know some people were wondering. I think you alluded to this earlier. So you think uh, June is headed somewhere in the underground, and we're going to finally see this. Uh, Handmaid's Underground Railroad type system. Yeah,
1: I'm hoping that we'll see that. I'm also wondering I'm wondering if we will ever see because we mostly are gonna it seems like book people and show people will now be on Mostly equal footing because the endings really lined up there, which I think will be cool Uh, But I'm wondering if they will take any of the unused material from the book and bring that out so like June's mom for example wouldn't mm-hmm. it be cool if she were, say, part of the underground? And then we could take some of that stuff from the book and bring that out into season two.
0: Well, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think in the book, she was, well, at least allegedly, Moira said that she saw her in a video that was from the colonies. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I know Bruce Miller um, has said that we're going to see some of the colonies next year and explore that stuff that's kind of outside the direct confines of Gilead, which I think will be cool. Um yeah. so that yeah, I, I agree. I think that'll be interesting. And then um they've been kind of parsing out a lot of news here lately to I think I think for the fans that are kind of uh very eager to get the season two, you know, that Alexis Pludell is coming back in a quote yeah. leading role. So I'm excited for that. I think a lot of people are wondering how, but yeah, but you know, that will lead that up to the writers <laughs> to decide how, how she Maybe
1: if they send her to the colonies and they're exploring the colonies it makes sense for her to lead their colonies storyline but they also could be doing some other some other things
0: well whatever she does uh, if she is does anything remotely as good as what you did this season then it's really really going to matter what they write because she was amazing um which surprised me because i have not watched her in too much outside of the gilmore girls which is you know on me <laughs> but she really surprised me with her the depth of her performance um yeah. And also, we're hopefully going to get some more Hannah. I think that that kind of thrown in there at the end, we weren't really sure where they're going to go with that from there.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of questions, too, about like, what's, what's the plan there, guys? What's the plan with when you have those children? Like, what if Hannah ends up being fertile? Or would you actually, like, so in theory, whoever, like, Commander's wife is raising Hannah as their own child, if... Hannah ends up being fertile Would some commander and his wife actually allow her to go and be a handmaid like because we all know that it's not actually that prized of a position right like would they right. actually would commander would a commander and his wife actually tolerate their child their daughter that they raises their own being sent off to be a handmaid no way like right. no. So then, like, did oh, they... I,
0: I, that's interesting that you fairy, thought that that's where she was. So is that the impression that you got in that scene that she was living with someone? Because we kind of got the impression that it was like a school or facility of sorts.
1: But they definitely... So when they had the parade of children, when they did the ambassador visit, a yes. bunch of those kids were too old to be... When they said the children of Gilead, my assumption was that they mixed in children who were have been born since Gilead started with children appropriated.
0: Yes. And we talked about that as well, that the people watching don't really have any knowledge beyond what they're rolling out to them. So it's basically all propaganda. So they could roll out how whatever age children and A, they're happy because they're seeing children. Um, but B, they don't know any better. So,
1: Well, and also, like, I mean, if you're a country, like you get all the stuff that the country before, like who you took over. So those are the children of Gilead. And so they've taken them. Um, but if she's going to a school wherever, like she she's living I assume it's the same as it was in the book where she's living with a family somewhere. I mean that I don't know if she's in a boarding school or what she is, but I wouldn't be surprised if she is living if she has some other parents. That's how it was in the book. Well, and, uh,
0: then, then that makes sense. I mean obviously she's got to have somebody caring for her. You would hope as yeah. much as someone can care for anyone in Gilead. <laughs> um Yeah. So so I guess my other question and we'll get to our favorite guy. So did you feel like the Nick situation improved any?
1: So I did feel like Nick, it's interesting. I was listening to how you all felt about Nick and the pregnancy thing. I felt like Nick was better. And then I also, and then I listened to all of you get upset. And then I felt like he was worse. I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I feel bad because the, the actor, Max Mangela, he is a legitimately good actor. And I just think, I just think that they, because there's so many characters and so many Excellently written characters and great performances that that character kind of got pushed to the back a little bit and they didn't really develop. And other than you find out that he had a brother that was a drug addict, and so that's really kind of impacted the way he handles relationships, um, which is part of how he is in general. But I didn't really think they wrote enough for him to get into the meat of that. And I'm that, a- go, go ahead, ahead. Sorry, no, go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say, I'm hoping that season two gives him an opportunity to be a more active role and to maybe take some actions when they're not like if they go into the underground or if they're escaping in some fashion Mm -hmm. then he can actually do things and not be under the watchful eye of a bunch of other people
0: right because you gotta Um, think that his next move would be to try and follow her out of Gilead because one two well two things you don't know that, I mean, his job for Serena Joy is done. Like, I I, I was under the impression when they had the salvaging that they were going to be stoning Nick because they didn't need him anymore, and Serena Joy wanted to get him out of the picture, which is why she had another driver. That turned out not to be the case, obviously. But also that, you know, and Galead, you got to look over your shoulder all the time, and I wonder if he's worried that, he's next on the block and is obviously wanting to be with the woman who is pregnant with his child so uh, the logical thing seems that he's going to try and get out
1: hold on one second okay Madeline? No. oh yeah go for it
0: it's- Hello. All
1: right. I couldn't tell if I had you on mute or not. Um, I took the president's in the office and they need something from in here. And also
0: The
1: phone was dying. So now I'm on battery, I think. Okay. What were you just saying? Something about, about Nick?
0: Oh, that the I mean, the next logical step for Nick is to obviously get out of Gilead one because June is pregnant with this child and he obviously, showed some emotion and some attachment to that and uh, got her out of there, so you would think he was going to follow her, and B, he's got to be wondering if Serena Joy is going to, or the commander and Serena Joy are going to have it out for him.
1: Yeah, so I, the way that she got into the car, I couldn't tell, it it didn't seem like he necessarily, like he definitely didn't get into the van with her, but it sort of left it open that like he may have followed. Oh, Um, interesting.
0: You I would not would that
1: at all. He, I mean, he was not like in the back of the van with her. Right. But if we were to open up on like when she gets out of the van, it turns out he was riding shotgun up front and she had no idea. That wouldn't totally surprise me. Or if when she gets to a safe house, some a few days down the line, he suddenly appears like mm-hmm. he's several days behind her. Once he could get away, something like that. That, that wouldn't surprise me either. But yeah, yeah, I've got to imagine that it would not be safe if she's getting away. um, It would not be safe for him to stay there for very long. Um, So my initial reaction when I saw the episode to see him be positive about the pregnancy, I thought was a good thing because often in general, (laughs) men don't react positively when women tell them they're pregnant. I also felt like it was just sort of what she needed in the moment. I did enjoy how, how negative she was about the pregnancy to Serena Joy mostly as a punishment for Serena Joy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also nice for her to, for June to have a moment to sort of think about like, well, wait a minute, like how would I feel about this pregnancy if it were not the wacko world of, get- like if it was just me and this person who I actually got pregnant with, um, which is obviously like, how do you even do that? That's impossible. Um, but it was kind of nice that second of, like, him leaning up against her and holding her hand of, like, oh, yeah, like, these are the two people who actually had this baby as opposed to the the rest of this stuff that's going on revolving right. around her child. Um, I don't actually think that June genuinely fe- felt that feeling of, I prayed to not have a baby, or you think I want to bring like all that stuff. I don't think she really felt it, but I think she needed to say it in the moment to Serena because she- Serena deserved to be told that mean, nasty thing <laughs> at that moment. Absolutely. Um, but I do. I did agree then listening to the podcast, I want to say, was it Rhea who said something about like, oh, and of course he's like making this about him. As soon uh-huh. as she said, it, like, that's totally right. Like he is, of course, once again, nicking it up. But I also like, I don't know, I couldn't help but feel in the moment. Like, I don't know. I'm just excited that like for once June has somebody like, just like she can relax for a moment and have someone be nice to her. Absolutely. But it, As soon as I saw Serena walk in, I was like, and that's the end of Nick ever driving her anywhere and ever being nice to her and them ever hanging out and Nick's going to die. Like, this is the end of the good things in their lives.
0: As with most the good moments in Gilead on this show, they build you up, give you about three seconds of feeling okay, and then they take it away.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was the fact that she had arranged a driver, a separate driver. I don't know that she knew that they were that attached. But I thought that Serena Joy, she knew she was going to take June to see Hannah. And it was like, she didn't want even the slightest chance that Nick sure. could smell the location. Yep. Um, and she just knew that there would be some amount of house loyalty there. Even if she didn't necessarily think, I think that she was surprised to see like that level of tenderness between the two of them. But I think that she assumed there would be some amount of affinity um, but I think, yeah, she was probably taken aback a bit. But, oh, Nick, I hope that, I don't know. I want him to be, I want him to be so much more.
0: I think everybody does, and that's what I hope for. <laughs> you know, I know we, we do give the character a lot of crap, but um, yeah, yeah we, we hope for better things for Nick, and uh, we'll, we'll see where that yeah. leads us. Um, and I
1: want to see Luke, like, I want to see Luke take care of Moira. Like, Moira deserves to put up her feet and relax and be taken care of.
0: Well, I will say that it's funny that you phrase it that way because, you know, Luke's famous line was, I'll take care of you. So right. uh, he's got somebody to take care of on top of, let's not forget, um, whatever the blonde lady's name is that ended up yeah. in Canada with him. So, yeah,
1: I'm I feel very much like if Luke is not already in a relationship with that woman, he's definitely like at least has feelings for that woman. I feel like there's something something going on there, which yeah, is fine. You would,
0: you would think so. It's just, it's just human nature, especially... You know, I think it was three, three years that it had been. Is that what it was when they did the,
1: I feel like they got something going on.
0: Oh yeah. I don't know how you couldn't in that situation. If you think your wife is dead and you're in the, you're living in little America in Canada (laughs) with the only person that you've really really got got a connection with.
1: I want to see Moira's facial reactions. Like I just want to see her make faces at him and react to all of the things in his life and just not say anything, but just make faces at him. Like really? Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, Yeah, the future for the show definitely holds a lot of promise. They I thought they wrapped it up about as well as they could have in that they gave us an ending that I think the people who are book loyalists and the people who haven't seen the show can both come down on common ground on. Um, But also that they gave you Moira back and kind of gave you a future with Moira. But they also Enough. took Avglen away, and you don't really know anything that's happened to her. So there's kind of that string left out there. Janine is still alive. Yeah. And the commander and Serena Joy are kind of left wondering what the hell just happened because our woman who was you know, pregnant with, not our child, but the child that was going to be ours, is gone. And so there's so many ways that they can go. I thought it was an excellent ending, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I'm a, I'm wondering with Lydia, Aunt Lydia, I honestly feel like that. I mean, she clearly was not happy to be bringing Janine to them. And I, I do think she was a true believer in a way that Serena Joy never was. Um, I think Serena Joy is much more of a pragmatist. And I think that that was really shown at the Mexican trade dinner. Um, and I think Lydia is loyal to her the, her girls and loyal to the cause and like really believes in some of the rhetoric that they espouse that they just like made up in the back of a limousine one day. Um and <laughs> so I think it really <laughs> it really messed with Lydia in a big way. And I'm excited to see the fallout from that. Um, and I want to see how that like that's what happens when you mess with a true believer is like you you know, like, whereas Serena Joy would never be, would never be thrown by that same, like, if that set of events had happened with Serena Joy in the place of Lydia, it wouldn't be a problem.
0: Right. Um, well, and where- again, I think that speaks to the, and I talked about this the other night as well, um, the ants are supposed to be like this drill sergeant, you know, strict as they come, hardliners of this society, because they're the ones that have to prepare these women for this role that they're going to have and it just again shows you what happens when a little bit of that humanity creeps into a person that is not supposed to have any in her role in the society and it's just impossible to live up to those standards and the the way that they've structured things
1: well and that's what they get too for hanging this ideology on religion right because that comes down to this whole thing of Allegedly, you know, what they really wanted was to just be fascists, right? And they (laughs) insisted on building it around this religious thing, but it's not really about religion. Because if it were really about religion, then when Lydia said, well, they've been forgiven, they paid their penance, like, then that would be enough. You know, if it was truly about their religion, then when all of these things happened about forgiveness and, like, that – the hardliners like that, like that would be considered acceptable. Um, But that's not what it comes down to. Like there were a bunch of people who had these ideas and then they found an ideology to build around it and to like say, oh, this will work. Uh, and this will win over certain people and this will make people agree with our cause because they already have, you know, this is familiar to them and they like this particular religion. It's very popular. You know, Christianity is found in a lot of places and, and we'll get a bunch more people to our side if we use these very familiar terms. But that's it's all BS. Like they really just wanted to be fascist dictators.
0: Indeed. Absolutely. So any, do you have any other thoughts? Thoughts and feelings, conclusions on the show?
1: I think the purge is coming for Commander Waterford.
0: I think it's really coming.
1: well in the in the book there was a serious purge and that dude looked real, real lonely when he said, I don't think that we need to really be looking for uh I think we can just forgive him. We all have a lot of work to do. Nobody's It's you know, cool guys. Committed right it's and no I was love like, that scene
0: he was just like drinking his drink and like ah it's cool guys everybody's got their things and everybody's like mm, not so much Fred
1: like uh Fred we all cleaned up our act while you weren't looking and they're, he's like oh really
0: oh, yeah so you wonder if this is the third strike for Fred especially now that uh once they find out that his handmaid that actually got pregnant is uh on the move so it'll be interesting to see how much of that does fall on his head because you know Ultimately he's the man and he's supposed to be the one who
1: Oh, Rita! I want to see Rita get radicalized because yeah, don't... you know what
0: briefly I that character was I thought she was great the, the actress that played her but I was really kind of confounded by that character as to whether she was a believer and like was really into it because you can't they don't really give you much other to go on with her like Tiana made yeah. the point. Of, I was like, well, she's always so happy Like when they think June is pregnant a couple times. And, and Tiana was like, well, that's probably because she's tired of doing all this stuff and would really love for a baby to be in the house so she could actually do something. And so I could never tell if her character was like someone who prior to the regime bought in and was like part of that. But I wouldn't think so she was a Martha. But then talks about her son dying in the war, but not specifically saying which no, side... I
1: the other yes. thing that I thought I saw and I don't know I haven't seen anyone else talk about this so I don't know if I hallucinated it but I thought when they took the previous handmaid down I thought what she was hung by I thought it looked like the color of the Martha's uniform.
0: Oh. And interesting.
1: And I thought that perhaps they had gotten they had become close, and then she used that, and that then she felt really guilty, and that that's part of why she was extra cold to June was that she was trying to keep her distance because she felt so guilty that that was that something from her was mm-hmm. used, and like oh, if she, you know, if I hadn't let my guard down, kind of thing.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah. I'll think we'll no go back thing, and watch it, heard, see that.
1: I don't if anyone else talk about it, so I feel like if if it was that subtle, <laughs> maybe. Right. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, um, but I thought that the, the piece of fabric looked like sort of that olive drab color that she uses, and I thought, "Oh, she's been burned," um, and so she was. She was just so heartbroken uh, that she she felt guilty, even though it wasn't her fault. She felt like it was her fault.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So that was that was kind of the only one other one that I couldn't get a full read on, but uh, everybody else, I thought they flushed out good, except for our obvious Nick issues that we've beaten into the ground. Um so I think we're looking forward to season 2 and I'm going to tr- we're going to try and keep in touch with you because uh I-, I love talking to you and I love the things that you have going on and hopefully when we talk again your podcast will be off the ground and what you're doing right now with the uh health for the homeless is going very well and continues to be a good thing for you and I just love all the work that you do and how passionate you are about it and uh, I-, I love it all so I'm going to definitely try and keep in touch with you um as long as you will have us to continue (laughs) to keep in touch with.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Excellent. Well, that was uh, Delia Harrington on the Mayday, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Any final words, Delia, about anything else you'd like to share with us before we we end this interview?
1: Uh, No, I think that's it. I'm looking forward to season two.
0: Excellent. All right, well, we will talk again, I'm sure. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, This is Justin from Mayday, The Handmaid's Tale podcast. Have a good one. See you. All right.